Hello, and welcome to The Renewable Generation, a show on climate and energy issues by young people, for all people. My name is Evan, and oh boy, where do I even start with this week? In a week where we're traditionally celebrating our nation's origins, we find ourselves in a state of turmoil. Our country is currently spiraling into chaos, socially and politically, and at the forefront of this, Kanye West has officially declared that he is running for President of the United States. It's amazing, so amazing, it's amazing, so amazing, so amazing, it's amazing, so amazing, it's amazing. (laughs) Thank thank you, Stephen, for your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, so I um, I had a pretty fun day. I, I went. Um, I tried to go to a beach area with with, with water as a couple of friends. We knew in the back of our heads that we were like, okay, it's gonna be really crowded. So on the off chance that it's not really crowded, we're gonna go hang out there. We showed up. Yeah, it was really crowded. So we ended up not doing anything. We just kind of like walked around in nature, which is really nice. And then um, towards the afternoon and nighttime, we had like a little barbecue at a friend's house in their backyard and um, just like watched the fireworks go off. Um, had several beverages and lots of lots of good food. Um, saw like the Trump display of Fourth of July, which was ridiculous. I'm, I'm telling you, man, there were there were like bombers flying over us, like blue angels, like literally like such a display, a flagrant and in your face display of military might, which was like the source of a lot of ridicule by us as we were like talking about. Um, like, you know, just what it means to, to celebrate 4th of July. Like, what does it mean to be American? And, and what does it mean to celebrate the Independence Day? Uh, we had, it, it was awesome. We had so much conversation about, um, and so conversation and criticism and really delving into what it means to celebrate the 4th of July, what it means to be an American. Um, and a lot of people were very critical about it. I had, I had a friend there saying that we should not be celebrating the 4th of July whatsoever because of the problems in the United States. And that's something that I disagree with, but um, it's something that we'll be exploring more in this show. Um, overall, a great day. Um, you know, Personally speaking, I feel very lucky that um, I'm, I am where I am in my personal life. And um, I was able to have a, a quite a nice day yesterday. Yeah, I think we're going to expound more on uh, what you're alluding to there is what it means to be an American. But before we get into that, Kelly, I got to ask about your 4th of July, because from what I hear, you have uh, you haven't slept for much of it. <laughs> Let's see, in the last five days, I've slept maybe 10 hours. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's four or five days, but whatever it is, I have not slept very much. But it's... It's this weird thing. It's like I'm like I could be sleeping, but I'm so awake, and it's like because I think I I feel like I've I had this almost spiritual experience where I felt like I finally gained like some understanding, and now I'm just like spouting insights left and right. And I think what really caused it for me was because um, so I was talking to a friend who is Chinese American. And we were kind of talking about like how like how our parents see things the way that they do. And then I basically like explained why my parents see things the way that they do. I was like, you know what would be really good is if I could kind of write that in a story. It's like, what is my identity backed up in history? And so I was like, this is a pretty good idea. Like, I'll try to do it. And so then I think like in the process of writing it, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna write it today. I have all these ideas floating around in my head. This is now, like I'm gonna do it now. And it's like I stayed up until like 2 a.m. I wrote the thing and then I published it on medium and I posted it for like whoever wanted to read it and I think I was like I basically my theory is like 
we there actually is something that we can find that's a unifying message. I think what um, we can the thing is we can all agree on some of it's like Kanye's a troll, right? So it's like everyone has something that they don't like about Kanye. But in America, it's like is there something that's like we can all agree that's positive? And I think that's the promise of America. That's what the Declaration of Independence was. And I think around the world, that's what people think America means or what America should mean. And I think the history of America, like every other society, it's a, it's a history of both independence and also people working together. And I think that serves as a, a perfect transition to our ultimate question for the start of this episode, which is, what does America mean to you and what, what does Independence Day mean to you? And I, th- I see Stephen is eager to answer this question. So let's start off with you, Stephen. Yeah, so I, I, I thought about this question a lot yesterday. Because um, like I was saying in the beginning of the show, um, the people I was with were, were being very critical about Independence Day whatsoever. And I think that's something that probably a lot of Americans and people around the world in general are, are feeling towards America, towards the United States of America. They're, they're, they're feeling... Um, dissatisfied and disappointed in our country and therefore don't, they don't feel the feel the urge to celebrate so i agree with those ideas right like we the united states is not not doing so hot right now we're not killing it in the game but i think what i think what's important is to like my response to that was when i'm celebrating the 4th of july when i'm celebrating independence day i'm celebrating the values on which america was founded upon and those values um, back in 1776 were revolutionary. They, quite simply, they were revolution. The values were revolution. It meant radical freedom, radical independence, um, and values such as, um, you know, we, we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And yes, there are flaws there, right? Because they say all men, what about women? All men, what about black men? Um, there are tons of flaws, right? I, I'm not going to sit here and say America is perfect and it's not something that I believe and it's not something that I ever really will believe. But what I do believe is that that America has those lofty principles that it's founded upon and we have continuously striven towards forming a more perfect union. We've made progress since we've been founded and yes, there have been setbacks and yes, there's still a ton of problems that we have to solve right now. But the thing is, I'm pretty damn proud to be an American. Um, so, you know, a little bit about my life is like I've mentioned in previous shows. It's like I'm uh, American, I'm Peruvian, and I'm Chinese in that order. So my, my parents were born in Peru um, and their parents were born in China. And the fact is, the fact that my parents moved here and I was born in the United States, I'm so happy that that happened. If that, if that were not the case, I would have been born in Peru. And the fact is, I would have been really spoiled. I would have been probably a, a just a worse person, and wouldn't have any of the thoughts that I'm that I'm able to have now, and, and have this independent thought and this freedom of thought and freedom of expression. Like in Peru, for example, it's a third world country. There is terrorism going on like to this day. The the police are corrupt. Um, that being said, the police are corrupt here as well, which is well, I guess what I focus on is my gratefulness. Like I'm grateful that I'm here in the United States where. I'm able to, to have these thoughts. I'm able to criticize a government. That That's another thing, right? Criticism of the government is not something that we should take for granted. The, the, the second other superpower in the world is China. And you cannot criticize the government there. You will go to jail and you will likely die in jail. Um, and that's something that happened to my family as well. So like that, these are the reasons why I personally and 
am proud to be an American and do celebrate the 4th of July. Um, and also with the caveat that we can do better and that we must do better and that we will do better. Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think um, especially you talking about your story as an American, I think that's really important because I think a lot of immigrant stories kind of get erased from this narrative. And like you've been thinking about like why, like how all of your interactions or all of your identities intersect within yourself, right? Intersectionality, that's an idea that the left has been really into, but like intersectionality also exists within people. It's like you can be American and Chinese. You can be American and Peruvian. And I think it's, I think that's maybe like what, like then we're really asking the right questions. Like, is America good or evil? And then the question should be, what about America is good? And what about it should we make better? That's what the founding fathers realized, right? In the constitution, they purposefully said, we're working towards a more perfect union. They recognized in the words of Hannah Montana, nobody's perfect. We got to work it again and again till we get it right. And I think something that you and Stephen are both alluding to here is America's foundation on revolution. And I think that's something that's so special to this country. And we take for granted all the time. Um, I know speaking to my personal experience, I'm a kid that grew up five years in Japan. And for all of those years, I was constantly made fun of for being an American. Those five years were spent under the George W. Bush administration, which was not a great PR moment for (laughs) America in the rest of the world. So for most of my life, I've kind of been on the opposite end of you guys, which is um, I have never really felt proud to be an American. In fact, I felt a lot of shame about being an American growing up. But and I mean, as I've as I've done research, as I've learned, as I've educated myself into the history of America, I felt further shame. But I've also felt so much pride in the foundation of this country, because I think you can tell so much about something by its foundation, because you can never escape your foundation. I And there's so much wrong. There's so many aspects of America's foundation that they got wrong. But what they got right is this idea that people should have a voice. And even though at the time that voice was not given to all people, the right to revolution, the right to free speech, to freedom of the press, to be able to voice what you believe is wrong with your government and with your nation and to be able to affect change in your country is something so special. And I, if we're celebrating anything about this country, especially during this time when we need to affect change and we need to use our voices and our platforms, that is something we should be celebrating right now. Yeah, and I, I add on to that, um, something something that we talked about yesterday um, at our gathering was this idea of a, of a, how, how we are celebrating or, or, or what is it that we are celebrating Independence Day. And um, the, the point was brought up that a majority of Americans – um, when they celebrate 4th of July is essentially like a rah-rah, military dominance, America, number one, you know, America's the best, America exceptionalism, America first, these kinds of ideas, um, which is not quite what I'm celebrating. So like, I think that there is a subtle distinction there in like what, what it is that you are celebrating when you're celebrating Independence Day. Um, and I think one of the things that I hold to, I, I do consider myself a patriot, an American patriot. And I think, Within that identity for myself, it means 
being able to criticize this country. It's like, it's, I, I love this country and I am a patriot. And that means inherently that I want it to become better. And that means inherently that I have to criticize it and point out its flaws. Like, for example, on the founding of this country, you know, we don't, we, we talk a lot about the positives. Um, and I agree, Evan, with what you're talking about, but we also cannot like sweep over the fact that, you know, we had slavery for like going on, going on a hundred years and, and it and the effects of slavery continue to this day with like the, the prison for profit system that we're in and all the, and all the protests that we're seeing with Black Lives Matter, not to mention and just to just just to add on to that, slavery is so rooted within the fabric and the foundation of this country that we're still seeing its effects today. And what I was saying about not being able to escape your foundation, we're seeing that right now with the police state right. that we live in. Like it goes both ways, right? Like the foundation affects you in positive ways in, the, in those principles, but also in negative ways in which we built this nation off of slave labor, um, as well as the the genocide of Native Americans in the United States. Let's not forget the fact that we almost wiped out an entire country, entire nation, entire continent of people, and then marginalized them into these little camps that say, you can live here, you can live there, you can build casinos. Oh, like, you know, you should be happy you can build casinos. Like, it says it's, the figure is, I, I tried to look it up before this conversation. The figure is, un, it's not quite clear how many Native Americans were murdered in those, um, in our expansion towards Manifest Destiny to the West, but it's something like 20 million Native Americans were, were killed. And that's largely through European diseases, like smallpox and measles. Um, 20 million um, individuals, right? Think, think about that. Like, it's, it's hard because a million people is a, is a statistic and one person who dies is a tragedy. But 20 million Native Americans were killed, which, like, in the Holocaust, 6 million Jews were, were murdered. Or estimates go up to sometime, some, somewhere like 11 million. So let's just like, put that in perspective, right? Americans committed a Holocaust at the foundation of the country. So... That is another thing that we have to acknowledge and say, these are, these are the atrocities that we committed at the founding of our nation. And we need to, we need to apologize for that, actually face that fact and own up to it and, and hold ourselves up to a higher moral standard. I just want to speak to, we're going to be talking about restorative justice at some point in this episode, and we're going to be talking about it a lot. We're going to be connecting it to how Germany has dealt with restorative justice. And when we're connecting the genocides uh, perpetrated in Germany, with the Holocaust, as opposed to the U.S. genocide of Native Americans, we have to remember that the genocide of Native Americans has been going on a lot longer, has dealt with numbers way higher than 20 million. And we're not just looking at this specific instance. We're looking at instances of eugenic practices like blood quantum. Um, we're looking at systemic law practices like what mission Indians had to go through in California. We're looking at all these instances throughout U.S. history and not just one specific instance, which makes restorative justice a really complex issue in the U.S. Yeah, that's thank you for providing that definition and that clarification, because that's exactly what I was going to say. So I think um, that's fantastic that you actually provided that context because I was just going to launch into um, restorative justice um, without realizing that I read a lot of stuff and not everyone reads all the same things that I do. So other, <laughs> I think Evan <laughs> is doing a good job of making sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to ideas. So in terms of restorative justice, right? So this is a something that's been very weird about this, the way that it's been framed to me recently is like, this is an indigenous 
philosophy that also in, and all the one the ones that I've seen it's like it it, it it also encompasses how things work in the animal world which I think the association that people have with that is kind of like it's kind of like woo woo and weird but I mean if you really look at it like the Lion King is a metaphor for Hamlet and we all love the Lion King we don't think it's woo woo and weird I think it's because they also um talk about science in there so anyway um moving beyond that so I think the point is that restorative justice as an idea is also an American idea. What we've seen going around on um, social media is like, oh, restorative justice is something, it's like an indigenous practice that we as Americans, like we need to look to the wisdom of indigenous people. And there's something inherently problematic about this idea, right? The people who say this, they would also reject the noble savage stereotype. I, we would say that it's a racist stereotype because it's assuming that all natives are like inherently good and that's kind of problematic. Um, and so what we need to acknowledge with ideas is like you can find inspiration in your history for either one of the good or bad ideas. So like what, what does this actually look like, right? So we were talking about various like times when restorative justice has been used like, this is objectively a good idea. It doesn't matter who came up with it. It's a good idea. And so we're looking at something like America after the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln was talking about restorative justice. And if I think historians generally agree that if he'd done that, the way that the South is in America today would be totally different. And I think um, one very powerful video that I saw is like, we're not asking for revenge. We're asking for equalities. We need to move forward. And the thing is, it's not just we need to move forward by like ignoring what happened, right? That's the whole concept of never again. It's like, you are going to make sure it doesn't happen by making sure that everyone across the world knows the history. And the fact that that's like the history of like Germany acknowledging it, it's because America as people, who, as we were the ones who won the war and we were the ones who's, as the winners, we were like, okay, you know what? We have the power to exact revenge, but we saw what happened in World War One that led to World War II that was bad. So what we're going to do is figure out, like, what is the model for moving forward? And one thing I've been noticing um, recently is a lot of people are pointing to uh, monuments and museums in Germany, like the Auschwitz Memorial. Um, and they're pointing to how because Germany is maintaining these structures that we should also maintain Confederate statues. I strongly dis disagree with this point. Um, in Germany, they're not allowing any depictions of the Nazi flag or of any Nazi. And it's the thing is they're not depicting Nazis as heroes. Like we do depict Confederate soldiers as heroes in this country. That's how we have to look at this. We're when we're talking about tearing down Confederate statues, we're not talking about tearing down history. We're talking about the, the false deity of these Confederate soldiers. Yeah. And it, and it kind of comes back to like in a full circle sense of like, what, are, what is it that we are celebrating? Like when we are celebrating 4th of July, what is it exactly that we are celebrating? And I think every individual has a different answer to that, right? It's not something that I can say what I'm celebrating is what you're celebrating. And I think that would be incorrect. So I think it's the same thing with, with those statues. What is it that those statues are celebrating? What is it that those statues represent? And, and then why are people defending so adamantly those statues right to exist and that they should continue to stand. And I think, you know, I think people have different answers to that. I think people who want to tear them down, which I would include myself in that camp, have I probably have a different answer as to what that represents than people who want to defend it and stay up. 
Um, and I think, it, I think fundamentally, it, I think we have to answer that question. I think we, I think we have to lay our cards on the table. I think like to some extent, everyone needs to kind of just lay their cards on the table and say, this is why, this is why we should tear down the statues or this is why we should celebrate or not celebrate America. And then everyone, people on different sides of the, of the aisle should, should listen to each other and then find some common, some type of common ground and then try to figure out what's the, what's the path forward. And I think that's kind of to, to Kelly's point about radical centrism, which is something that we're going to continue to talk about in the second half of the show. Yeah. And I think what you said, Stephen, I think that's a really great point. Like I can't tell you what you celebrate. I can only tell you what I celebrate and hope that it provides insight into what you celebrate, right? Like, Stephen, like, I think, I mean, I wrote, I basically, part of my revelation was like, I wrote this story about my family. And it really also gave me kind of the frame of mind to think about what does it mean to be an American? It's just kind of like reckoning with our history. So I think, like, I hope that us talking about like what parts of America that we value and also the power of art, right? Like Hamilton, it's, Ultimately, I think it's all the same. It's all stories. That's that's what humans are drawn to. It's like personal stories and then it's like retellings of stories, musicals, like everything. The power of any medium is its power to tell a story. And I think like we're getting into the idea of like like memes also tell a great story, like American flag memes and like memes about America. I think those, because they're ironic, they are really good at kind of addressing both things. So I think that that kind of speaks to deeper truth. Yavin? Yeah, and that it's interesting you say that. I, I know we need to get into the climate fact of the day, but it's interesting you say that because history is written by the winners. So why are we still celebrating the losers who are the Confederates? It's because the ultimate winner in this country is still white supremacy. Now it's okay, time I'm for... I'm going to take the bait. I think we should move on. We should move on. No, I, I, need, I feel like we... No, we need to take the bait because this is a polarizing concept. And I disagree with it for all the other reasons why we disagreed with the other things, right? So both white supremacists and progressives, the the thing that they find the radical center on is that the history of America is the history of white supremacy. And saying that that's what it is, it's kind of, it's not a unifying message. Like you're doing this verbal gymnastics to explain why you're not like why the concept of white supremacy is not racist when in the name you're saying something about white people. And I think like we had a long discussion before this podcast and ultimately what the conclusion that we came to is like, we shouldn't stereotype any race. Right. So it's like the, the thing is in, in, um, every, every story in history, there's, there's like the winners and the losers. And then I think based, based on who's telling the story, we can figure out who's right. And the history of America, I mean, based on what we did in um, Germany after World War II, it's the history of like, okay, actually, there is a right and a wrong. The language of civil rights, we hold these rights to be, yeah, self-evident. Um, and so I think basically, like, in America's history, like, despite all the harms that we've perpetrated, we still acknowledge that the work of our nation is towards building a more perfect union, and we acknowledge that some things are just right or wrong. And you know what? Having Confederate statues, like, if in Germany, do they have Nazi statues? No, they have museums. They have Auschwitz. And I think just acknowledging the history, and that really means, like, having museums where it's, like, a cultural heritage. It's something that we all need to know about to make sure that it doesn't happen to anyone else ever again. Yeah. I know, but I'm trying to I'm trying to get to the bottom of it because 
I, I'm not sure we're on the same page, Kelly. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that like, you're like, what? I think this is the kind of thing where it's like, you have this idea of what white supremacy is. And it's basically like anything that perpetuates the status quo is white supremacy. And then I think people have a very expansionist definition. It's like anything that causes any kind of disparities between different groups is racist. But the thing is, we shouldn't use the term like racist or white supremacy because they're very loaded terms, right? It's like why we should use the language of rights because it is right. That's the history of it. And it's like... But, but we're talking... At the start of this, before we started recording, we were talking about two different aspects of the revolution and it's the radical centrists, but it's also the radical progressives that are pushing the movement forward. And I think if we're not calling a spade for a spade, then we're, we're just lying to her. We're not doing the movement justice. There's no progressive... Uh, it, it is white supremacy. This country is founded on white supremacy. It's been a white supremacist country for its entire lifetime. Okay, so I think I want to step in here. And first of all, for our listeners, I want to define what radical centrism means. Okay, because I think that's something that we're we're having debates about. We haven't clearly defined what it actually is that we're talking about. So first of all, I think radical centrism does not mean, let's say there's a right and a left, Democrats, Republicans, right? It does not mean we're going to say the the, the truth. So, okay, first off, it starts with saying the truth is always somewhere in, in the middle between two opposing ideologies. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. But it does not mean that the truth is the average of the right and the left. So it doesn't say, I'm going to take half of the Republican arguments, I'm going to take half the Democratic arguments, I'm going to smush them together, and whatever comes out, that's the truth. Because that's not true, right? There, there are some times when Democrats and Republicans, or, you know, what have you, it doesn't have to be political. Like, you and me, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you and I have a different opinion on something, and the truth likely lies somewhere in the middle. And there are times when someone is factually incorrect. Someone can say, oh, that is a bed. No, that is a car. And then someone would be like, actually, no, it's a bed. It actually is. And that truth didn't lie somewhere in the middle there in that case, right? But I think what it kind of ends up, at least in my interpretation of it, it means that um, we should not pay attention to ideological arguments. So a lot of times people have arguments and beliefs that they've been led to by some kind of institution and therefore, and then they convince themselves that they believe it. So we should disregard ideological arguments that say, for example, in a broad, broad brushstrokes, that white supremacy is the foundation of America, which is mayor has varying degrees of accuracy, depending on who you ask, and someone else who says, um, no, the foundation of America is freedom for all. Um, and then, therefore, that the truth lies somewhere in the middle, and then, going forward from here, how do we determine how to move forward, I think, is the next conversation to be had which we can address in the second half of this show. And now it's time for Evan's Climate Fact of the Day. This one is brought to you by Stephen. It's too late to register as an independent in several states such as Indiana, Maine, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, and Texas. Some might call this a late registration. And that was Evan's climate fact of the day. I don't know if Kelly got that. <laughs> Wait, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> it's a Kanye reference, which uh, in fairness oh. is better than uh, what I'm usually called, which is a college dropout. But, uh, you know, we can't all have, uh, we all can't have Kanye's best album, Late Registration. Damn, those are uh, fighting words right there. <laughs> Ready to be added. Okay. I'm just calling a spade for a spade. Okay, 
to build on that, right? So in this episode, we're talking about radical centrism. What is an idea that we can all agree on? And then it's like, when, what is the place for divisiveness to push the country forward? It's like, or to bring new ideas. So I think we can think of people like Kanye, who are just trolls. Their whole thing is just to troll and provoke people. Okay, I'm, I'm saying like, this is my interpretation of Kanye. And we can have this, this goes to the whole thing. It's like, we can have different interpretations of history, right? It's like, I think Kanye is this, you think Kanye is something else. Maybe the truth is like, we both have these models for viewing the world. There's this phrase, like all models are wrong, but some are useful. So it's like America is the history. It's like saying America is the history of like freedom. Like, okay, that's wrong because we also have not freedom. Um, but like America is the history of white supremacy. But also America is the history of people actively working to fight white supremacy. And it's like, what is the language that we can use that speaks to the most people? Because right now, our country is divided. We don't need more division. That's, I think, the one thing that everyone can agree on. So I think right now, it's it really because of like, you can have a debate about why we're divided. But I think the nation as a whole is just hungry for something that we can all get behind. Maybe it's Kanye. I don't know. <laughs> um, to bring it back to, the, to the, the thesis question we started this podcast with, what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to celebrate Independence Day, right? I think that is probably one of the more unlikely answers that I wouldn't have expected in 2019. I would not have expected America is Kanye West running for president. But also, that's also a very legitimate answer to America. Like, what other country would have someone like Kanye West running for president and it would be, like, even slightly legitimate? I think I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb right here and call it. I think Kanye West is going to be the next president of the United States in 2020. And you're all going to laugh, but that's what we did when Trump was running too, isn't it? That's and, true. That's and, so and you know true. what happened in 2019? We all thought we'd have a normal 2020 and then coronavirus came and then murder hornets are a thing. So like right now, I'm throwing logic out the window. It's right now, it's pure chaos and emotional instability and I'm just riding the waves. So here it is. You heard it here first. Kanye West is going to win the presidential nomination 2020. Also, I also want to bring it back to the point of... Um, you know, ultimately, we are a climate and energy podcast, right? So my question here is like, what does this mean for the climate fight that we're in? We, we want to solve climate change on a time scale to, to, to get net zero carbon emissions by 2050. So when we're talking about um, radical centrism or we're talking about radical progressiveness or we're talking about Biden versus Trump and all of a sudden now Kanye too, like all of this is within our, at least our podcast in the context of how will this affect climate change? So like Joe Biden is pretty factually going to be better for climate than Trump. I have no idea what Kanye thinks about the climate change. I really have no idea. Like you guys, you guys got any thoughts? Yeah, I, I have a thought on how Kanye can bring the country together. You know, um, so I think one, one thing that um, I think Evan is saying, like, we need people to kind of say things that are provocative to bring new ideas into the fold. But right now, America as a whole is just hungry for something that can bring everyone together. Because it's like, we're like, oh, like, maybe the virus can be what brings us together. No, a freaking virus got politicized. And how? And like, we're not going to ask like, who's responsible, because ultimately, it is a problem. Everyone is like, stuck in this framework of like, believing that it's a problem. And so the way forward is to find something that everyone can agree on. And it's not some weird combination of the right and the left. It's like figuring out what appeals to literally every single person. So this is Kanye's climate TV show. <laughs> so the, the first point that I want to make is that the one policy that all Americans can agree on is that um, planting trees is good. 
Like, if, if you're on the side that is like, we should not plant trees, then you, I'm sorry, but like, you're just wrong. Like, you're, that's not an argument that you can win. You can argue semantics, but it's like, come on. Like, uh, trees are good. And so um, you can say, okay, so we agree that we all want to plant trees. And actually, um, this is actually the Republican plan, right? Matt Getz came out and he proposed the Green Real Deal, and this was part of his plan. And the Democrats said, he's like, oh, it's not enough. Like, like we're our climate plan is better because it does more. And I was like, are, are you really trying to say that, like, planting trees is... Like, you're opposing a plan saying we should plant trees. What I think we should say is, like, yeah, we can all agree on planting trees. And then what are, like, some, there's other issues in America today, too, right? Like, there's this whole criticism about, like, the COVID unemployment benefits are running out at the end of July. People are freaking out about what to do because there's a legitimate criticism from Republicans that um, it's, like, we shouldn't be paying people to sit around all day doing nothing. And I'm pretty sure, like, most people would generally agree that um, having work gives you a sense of purpose and dignity and having so a common purpose that we're working towards together as a country will give us purpose as a country. People of all colors and races, backgrounds, ethnicities, national origins coming together, that's the only thing that can heal divides, right? It's like if you're working, you're planting trees, you're someone who's a one percenter, your dad works on Wall Street, but the people you're working with, you're working with someone who's the children of farm worker, farm workers in the Central Valley. You're working with someone who is who's from Flint, Michigan, who doesn't have access to safe drinking water. Like this is one thing where I think one of the themes that we've been touching on today is the power of narrative. And this is one thing where it's like actually the thing we need to come together, and the way to do that is to humanize other people through stories. So when you're talking, you brought up COVID, which is a common enemy. And yet still, we can't rally as a whole around that in this nation. There is nothing that will rally this entire country. You talk about planting a million trees as like, this is going to bring everyone together. But who cares about a million trees when 78 million acres are teared down in the Amazon every year? One million trees won't do anything. And I bet there's people, there's people right now that are like, who cares about a million trees? There is someone in America right now that doesn't want a million trees planted. There will always be somebody against what you're saying. And I just, this is a moment where we need harsh action. We need to be spurred to action because it's Sunday night and we haven't started working on our essay yet. And it's due Monday morning. We can't try and get everyone on board. This is this if this is a group project, we don't need the slacker, the the kid that's just gonna goof off the entire time. We need that straight A student to knuckle down and solve this problem right now because we're running out of time, Kelly. And I just I I think we're doing a disservice to the to the climate movement if we're trying to get everyone on board. Okay, but I would say you're kind of what we're saying is I think if you're, sorry, I was, I was trying to figure out which thought, which order to put my thoughts in. So I, I started various different thoughts and was saying them. So first of all, I think it's not a partisan thing to say that America today is very divided and that the country as a whole is searching for something that'll bring it together. COVID didn't do that. And we can talk about why, but it's basically the point that everything in politics is like, if the red team proposes it, the blue team is going to oppose it, right? So you need to have someone who's independent proposing new ideas. We on this podcast, I think, for all our faults, like I interrupt people, like, like we, like each of us has things that we do wrong, and I think acknowledge, like 
okay, another metaphor for America. It's like acknowledging what we do wrong is going to help us all come together. So it's like, I will acknowledge my hurt first with no expectation that you'll do the same. And that's how we're going to move forward. So it's like, you're um, implying it's like, oh, there's like obviously a dichotomy between like the straight A student and the slacker. But again, there's a reason why the slacker is slacking, right? There might be something like they they have lost faith in school because they maybe had, they like did badly on a test and that kind of shook their faith in the system. And so you can paint all these stories in different ways, but what we need in this movement is a diversity of stories. So what I'm proposing, like, so in addition to the um, tree planting thing, right? So it's like the, co the COVID thing is a problem, but then what we're gonna do is actually bring people together, humanize each other through learning about each other's stories, each other's lives, what we believe in. And I think that's what's really going to heal the division. Like honestly, the whole like planting, whatever like amount of trees that people can plant, it might not even be that much of the one trillion. It might be actually end up being that like we plant most of these trees by drone. But on some level, like why is Kanye so powerful? Like what has he literally done? It's because he puts all these crazy ideas out there and people react to them. And it's like, I've proposed this idea. You have your reaction. I think it's something that's like, we aren't partisan. We're in this debate. I think we're all like all sides in everything. And I think this is an idea that should be in the national discourse to see what happens. Like if Kanye proposed this idea, would people oppose it because they oppose Kanye? Or would they say, actually, that's actually a good idea and let's think about how it would work, right? And so when it comes to telling stories, how would we tell the story of planting a trillion trees for America? You know, there's this idea, the quarantine, right? This is something that college professors uh, or uh, university presidents have been talking about. Like, okay, like we can come back to school, but you can only hang out with the same like 10 people. You can't hang out with anyone else. And like, does anyone really believe that people are actually going to do that in college? Like, let's be real. So, but then if it's like you're planting trees kind of like randomly or like somewhere kind of more remote. So you have, you're all living in a cabin together you only actually can interact with each other. And this is the context when we get a lot of reality TV shows, Big Brother. But then Big Brother, because it's the only thing that they're competing against is each other, it becomes a toxic show about backstabbing. Whereas if we are like together, but we also have diversity, right? It's like in this, the whole point is that we're bringing diverse people together. For, for what our stories are gonna be and like what we see on TV, it's going to be like us, a selection of people that are like purposely selected to be diverse. And we can have things like each person comes up with a culturally appropriate challenge for them to do. Um, so it's like, okay, maybe like I'm Chinese and then everyone else, we're gonna learn to wrap dumplings together. And it's like, we can have a competition of like who like wraps the dumplings the fastest. And then there's also qualitative judgment of like who does them the best, like most artistically. So that's actually really interesting. You could be like, there's a dichotomy or there's like this false dichotomy is like, can you do it fast or can you make it pretty? And I think we could kind of, that's also something that we can debate, right? It's like kind of showing that there's multiple sides to every story on every level. Yeah. And I think, I think what's interesting is it, it seems to me that, um, you know, Evan Kelly, your, your debate right now is, is one of the founding questions that we found this podcast on, which was, do we need incremental small steps towards a solution or do we need a big moonshot leap right now um and it's it's a, it's a tough question right we don't really know the answer to that but i think that one thing that we can in, in the in interest of finding common ground between the three of us right now i think the one thing that we can agree on is that we need to remove 
the isms from people's thoughts. At least I hope we can all agree on this because I think the problem a lot, yeah, remove the ideolo- ideology. So many people are operating under um, essentially influence. People have, they listen to influencers, they listen to speaking heads, they're speaking to politicians or some kind of thought leaders and they kind of, they are spoon fed their beliefs. And it's it, before it used to be the church that did this. Um, at some point it became politicians. At some point now it's like influencers on Instagram and like Twitter and like Twitter's its own whole ecosystem on its own, right? So like there's definitely a huge part of humanity that just seeks this this easy answer of this is the solution. This is the answer that, is, that describes everything. But if you're ever going to get like a, an easy answer to that, you know it's going to be fundamentally flawed because there is no simple answer to why things are the way they are. It's always nuanced, and it, and people are lazy and don't want to speak through all those things. So I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm kind of jumping in deep, deeply here. But I guess to zoom out, to, to put it simply, I think that we need to remove the isms because the isms cause the schisms. Bob Marley. <laughs> I do. I and the thing is, I I agree with you, Stephen, and I also agree with you, Kelly. Um, especially when you're talking about framing it in an apolitical realm, I think there's such a need, a pressing need to frame the climate movement in an apolitical realm. Like, I mean, Hollywood isn't perfectly apolitical, but there's a lot of conservatives that watch the content that Hollywood makes. And I think it's super important that we start getting that messaging out there and we get it out there in not this moral high ground, this sanctimonious tone. We need to get it out there in a message that includes all. But I think when we're talking about policy change and we're talking about actual change, we, we can't be all-encompassing here. Yeah, what I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to solve climate change. I'm saying that this is one thing that we can all come together on to provide a framework for how we can actually agree on something. Because if there's something that we can all agree on, it's that no one is agreeing on anything right now. Even on this podcast, I think the way that we're doing it here, like because we all agree that we're working in good faith, and I literally said, like, I'm taking the bait just to challenge your idea because I'm, I'm not challenging you as a person, Evan, right? I'm challenging your idea. But what we're seeing in politics today is that people are challenged, it's like ad hominem attacks upon ad hominem attacks upon ad hominem attacks. And the the only thing, I mean, what I'm saying, like, this is the only solution. I welcome, like, people's opposing views on this. This is my view. I think telling people stories, because our stories are unique to us, but they're also, like, everyone's story is the his like, the history of everyone is the history of humanity, right? It's like, I have multiple identities. And that gives everyone a framework for thinking about their identities. And it's basically like, is your story, like, are you a good storyteller? And can you draw meaning out of stories? And I think that's that's Hollywood's role. Well, I think it's time for the segment that is a proposed package of United States legislation that aims to address climate change and economic inequality. It's the Green New Spiel. Stephen, why don't you start us out? Cool. Well, I have loved our conversations today, and I, and I assure the listeners that we're going to continue to have this conversation when we're not recording, so um, Kelly will speak at us even more so, and, and we love every second of it. So um, my Green News spiel is the fact that the U.S., um, just this past week, has released the most detailed climate plan in U.S. political history. So um, in about 2007, um, this, this committee was established in a house called the House Select Committee on Energy Independence and Global Warming. And um, they were established in 2007, um, killed in 2011 when Republicans took back power, and recently reinstated in 2018 when the House took back um, the House um, when the when the Democrats took back the House in the midterm elections. Um, and if you remember um, when AOC um, initially got signed into um, into her office, 
there was this big um, publicity stunt um, that she that she had pulled when she went to um, Nancy Pelosi's office with with the Sunrise Movement, and she sat in there and she started demanding for a Green New Deal, Green New Deal, um, which was like um, this. This is what this was about. The, um, AOC did that um, in in pretty much fighting for this House um, Select Committee that I just explained to have more teeth on it, to have the ability to subpoena and to create laws itself. Um, ultimately, it didn't amount to anything. It, it does not have that power. Um, it ultimately just has advisory power, which means that they can sculpt um, policy blueprints and templates, and then they provide it as like a suggestion. But um, So the House just released this plan. Keep in mind, this is not legis legislation. This is just a policy blueprint um, for how Democrats can, can use... Um, how Democrats can pass climate policy whenever the opportunity presents itself in little um, little fights here and there in the political battle that happens. So this is not the Green New Deal. There are no federal jobs um, guaranteed in this plan, and there is no universal health care. Um, also, there will be some leftists that will be upset by this, and they'll say that it doesn't go far enough. Um, there's also an emphasis in the plans on carbon capture and storage. They are friendly to nuclear energy overall, and there are no restrictions on fossil fuel infrastructure. Um but um, ultimately, there are about 12 pillars um, to this plan that are laid out, 12 different pillars of legislation that they have to focus on. Um, and, um, you know, we perhaps at some later date, we will have an episode to dissect this plan and, and really flesh it out for all of you. But um, listen, um, and I, wish, I just want to reframe this real quick. So if, if any of, my, of the listeners are upset by how it doesn't go far enough, I just want to make this point is that, listen, like in political terms, if you keep in mind that ambition of policy will not be settled by pre-intramural left debates. What I, what I mean by that is like, for example, on this episode, all three of us, uh, of us co-hosts, we have been debating these ideas and this is good, right? It's healthy, constructive debates, but we can't let it cripple ourselves. We can't get to the point where we're infighting so much where we can't even get on the same page and, and move forward as a team. Um, so bluntly speaking, um, whether or not climate policy is passed, it's not about how ambitious the policy is at this pre-pre-pre-stage. It will be settled by power. So ultimately what I mean by that is who is elected? Who is in the House? Who is in the Senate? Will Democrats take the presidency in 2020? Will they take will they keep the House? Will they take back the Senate? If they take the Senate, like by how much will they take it? Will they read 51, 52, or 53 Democratic Senate senators? So these are the questions that I think it's important for us to keep in mind. This is the focus that we should keep in mind at all times. And um, if we really want to get the job done, at the end of the day, what matters is if there are structural changes, and that only happens if we are the ones in power. I'm going to take the bait again. So you talked about the Democrats' climate plan, but we talk about how we love the American Conservation Coalition the, with a the group of Republican young people who proposed a climate plan for Republicans. And the House, um, I think the House Republican leader, the House Minority Leader, whatever his title is, he adopted the plan and was saying like, yeah, this is, I agree, I agree with this. And if you look at the policies that they agree on, it's almost completely the same. The only thing that they disagree on is like building out more natural gas pipelines. But the thing is, they're still selling it as a both sides thing. The right, it's saying like, I read this op-ed, it was like, Oh, like we, you know, the green real, like the green new deal. It's anti-American. It's anti-American. Like, no. If you look at the policies, they're the same. And I, like, maybe it's utopian to say, like, why can't we just look at policy? And it's like, oh, it's because policy. So my framework for this is thinking like policy is something that's like logical, but people don't work a hundred percent based on logical reasoning. Sometimes we need to work based on feelings, 
and authority and like those kinds of stories. And that's a story, right? That's ultimately what it is. And so I think telling the stories of like how Americans are coming together to plant trees, if that highlights how we're the same and even encourages the Sunrise Movement and the American Conservation Coalition to be like, yeah, actually we are the same and we agree on a lot of policies. Like the thing is you need someone who's perceived as a neutral arbiter to propose these ideas. You're not like, I think Benji Backer, he's the guy who started American Conservation Coalition. He was like, Republicans can do climate too. And he got a lot of conservatives really interested in the movement. And what I'm saying is like, we can say this thing. It's like, it'll bring people together. And it's, it's, not, it's not just about him. It's not just about his policies. It's about the idea. And I'm just here saying my ideas. And you know what? It's just until we execute it, it's just an idea, right? Like Kanye control all he wants. But it's like until he runs for president, he's just a meme. Sure. I think, I think though, in response to that, it's like the, I think that you, I, I fear you may be doing the ra- the radical centrism to a fault here because when you're, I feel, I feel you might be doing this thing where you're saying, okay, the left has an answer, the right has an answer and the truth is somewhere in the middle always. But it is, but if we look at it objectively away from political lenses, the Democrat, like, uh, yeah, unfortunately the house select committee on energy independence and climate change is run by Democrats and their plan is so detailed and it has been provided by Democrats. These are facts. And I Republicans have not done that. So Republicans, I will applaud. I do agree. I will applaud like the Republicans for signing on to the ACC's climate plan. That's a step forward. But that being said, like just comparing the two apples to apples, like disregarding everything about political senses, like we are we are like three orders of magnitude higher on the Democrat side. Well, I believe that's all the time we have for the Green News Spiel. So with that, we wrap up the segment. And we wrap up the show. Thanks for listening to a particularly interesting episode of The Renewable Generation. We will be back to our regular format next week, and we'll probably stick to that for the most part. But if you liked this kind of frantic conversational tone of this episode, let us know. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter. Uh, Me, Stephen, and Kelly all have Instagrams. We have phone numbers in case you know us personally and want to Let us know immediately uh, what you thought about this episode, and uh, also feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.